Ethnic group identity and culture can provide individuals with support networks when they migrate to a new destination. The strong bond with one's ethnic identity can persist centuries after a group leaves their homeland and disperses across a region. But how do different ethnic groups strike a balance between integrating into a new homeland and maintaining their ethnic identity and traditions? On today's episode, we look at the bi-ethnic group in Southeast Asia to see how ethnic identity can remain strong after centuries of dispersal and how their communal support networks and migration are initiated completely independent of the nation state. You're listening to the Success Project podcast series. The NYU Development Research Institute, DRI, was founded by William Easterly and Yao Nyarko. DRI, understanding the barriers to growth and development. I'm Will Comperl, and here to talk with me today is Hui Kian Kui of the University of Toronto and author of the recent paper, Socio-Religious Institutions and Economic Migration, Case Study of the Bai Klansmen from Anxi, Futian in Southeast Asia, circa 1880 to present. Thank you for coming on, Hui Kian. Thank you for inviting me. Migration is particularly topical right now, from the U.S. presidential election to the Syrian refugees trying to enter Europe to everything in between. Your paper tells the story of the Bai Klansmen, an ethnic group that migrated away from its homeland hundreds of years ago but still retains a strong ethnic identity. It follows the Bai from their origins in China in the 15th century to different destinations, mostly around Southeast Asia. So what do you think makes the story of the Bai Klansmen particularly important? Uh, well, I think they, um, I've been working on this topic for a while, uh, just trying to show different groups of the Chinese migrants coming from different parts of Fujian and Guangdong province going overseas. And so this particular one uh, is just a case study which is of a later period from late 19th century to the present. And that would allow one to really flesh out and even interview those who are still alive and their experiences. So I think this particular case study is interesting to show, especially the contemporary transformations and how they gradually adapt to their local succum- you know, circumstances, wherever they are. So yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's, uh, it's one among tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands or even millions if we uh, trace the concrete movements of uh, particular groups going to particular parts of uh, not just Southeast Asia, but other parts of the world. So, so in a sense, is the, the thing to take away then that the Bai Klansmen mm-hmm. aren't necessarily exceptional in their yeah. story, but they're one thing that is very common and, yes. it's, and it's something that's overlooked. And so yes. you can see how their, their ethnic group just persists in, in their migration. and be- Or rather sub-ethnic groups, I wouldn't say. Right. I mean, ethnic, usually we think of all of them as Chinese. So we really need to resist the idea that there is one single Chinese diaspora and one bamboo network going around the world, but that we need, really need to, if we want to talk about, yeah, there are networking and trust networks going on, but they, these are very concrete and they are tied by very um, concrete rituals and very specific deity and ancestral cult beliefs. And we really need to track this even as they exhibit a similar pattern. Uh, these are not necessarily cross-cutting. They might build broader networks in time, but we, we do need to see them as how they initially come out as separate ones, and then they might build cross-cutting networks, and they might not. So 
just really going down to the grounded concrete details. Yeah. What are the most uh, illustrative ways you think that the Bai clansmen um, stay connected to their identity when they're dispersing across this mm-hmm. region? Um, what are ways to show that they're still very much connected to, to the fact that they're Bai, um, mm-hmm. rather than perhaps just uh, becoming assimilated to their, their destination region? Mm-hmm. And while they may retain that identity somewhat, yeah. Sometimes you you assume the identity of, yeah. of your of destination. So, in what ways can we see how the Bai really ma- maintain that identity? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the the fact is, um, they they do change. Like even though who may have ancestry, uh, from the Bai forefathers, and 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 definitely in my estimation, uh, maybe around fifty percent would have assimilated, especially if they are in countries that that have a very small percentage of, let's say, ethnic Chinese migrants. And and so they, they tend to lose a lot of their so-called home cultural characteristics much more rapidly, like especially in some parts of Indonesia and even Malaysia. And, and I would say maybe the others who managed to retain that identity, uh, it, 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 it's due to different reasons. I mean, some could be because uh, there's, like I mentioned, there's more than 50% of the bi-diaspora who are in Singapore. So they can they can still constantly, and because it's a much smaller country, so when they have a ritual, they, they do tend to gather, all right? But this kind of convenience is not really everywhere for all the other bi's who are in Burma, Thailand, Philippines. Uh, but, yeah. but so, so is it um, rituals that we can point to and say, okay, mm-hmm. these these Bai clansmen are still very much in touch with their identity, or is it support systems economically? What are the ways that you can really see that they're really they're still aware of their Bai heritage? I think that's uh, oftentimes, uh, especially after the first generation, right? Then you have the second and third generation who are usually local born, and they would pick up much more local cultural characteristics, whatever you call it. So there are there, there have been and there still are attempts by some Bai clansmen who try to gather together and they try to, for instance, especially coming out from Singapore, they really try to encourage their fellow clansmen, if you want to call it, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Philippines, to organize themselves. So even as they, uh, like some of them try, uh, have been localized, they would uh, get this encouragement from their, you know, like their clansmen in Singapore who are very enthusiastic about it. And some might actually react to that, like, uh, yeah, why not? Um, we'll have our relatives. But then at the same time, it, it was it's already changed from their forefathers and how they thought about it. It's not like uh, it's entirely the same, that they kept it the same. Uh, that's something that I, I, I try to emphasize in the paper, that even as and when they keep, as I call the trace, there, there's tons of things that have already changed, and we need to be aware of that. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's completely inefficacious. Like this, they still, uh, some still rely on the fact that they are from the same surname, even though a lot of the concrete meaning is maybe diluted. Diluted, yeah. yeah. But they, they, they would still like, hey, uh, could you, like uh, somebody from Indonesia going to Singapore and say, hey, I need to build this uh, palm oil refinery. Could you recommend somebody reliable for me? And, 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 and so there's still a bit of use of that, but I, I would say it's very much changed from their 
forefathers. Does it make sense? Yeah, and, and it's interesting you bring up um, how in Singapore there's sort of a, a critical mm. mass, mm. more than 50%. Right. Whereas in other regions, yep. you could be a very tiny very portion. Very like 6% of the Chinese, which could mean less than 0.6% of the local population. Yeah. And, and, and does, this, does this show how when an ethnic group might disperse around to different regions, how the the balance between assimilating and sort of maintaining an identity can change depending on what portion of the population they make up. So maybe in yeah. Singapore, when they're a really big part, you know, you, you feel a lot more secure to uh, yeah. maintain your roots and, and be in touch with that, that yeah. heritage. Whereas if you're yeah. a really small portion, small portion of the yeah. population intuitively, I would think I just want to fit in. Yep. And so do you think, you know, is this a typical trend um, of ethnic groups that have diasporas? And is it sort of an important thing to to think about? Broad picture-wise and general trend-wise, if we have to say there is any trend, then I would agree with you. But um, so, so many of the transformations, whether they so-called retain or whether they rapidly localize, it's a lot of interplay with the concrete local circumstances. So for instance, Indonesia has only, as a whole country, has only 3% ethnic Chinese. And of course, in the locales where the Bai clansmen are located, that's even smaller. Like they could only be 0.01%, etc. So they may, they may uh, not highlight their clan identity, but they may highlight their ethnic Chinese with the other Chinese simply because of the local politics in Indonesia, which, uh, which is very anti-Chinese. So it forces the Chinese to group together instead of highlighting their individual clan identity. I don't know if it makes sense, but in Singapore, yeah. in the total population, there's more than 70% ethnic Chinese. And the Pai, I mean, they, they may be a small percentage of these ethnic Chinese, but it does have, as you say, a critical mass that, that they do sort of retain. At the same time, they also have broader connections with other Chinese and other ethnic groups as well. So, um, yeah, so so the interplay part, maybe it's, they don't... It's one of maybe yes. a handful of variables that decides how they um, try to integrate yes. or, or not. Yes, but I do agree with you that the general trend would be that if, if they, there's less critical mass, then they, they tend to move towards that, but yeah. And maybe this is also something tough to generalize, but can we see from the Bai experience whether there is a a better experience when you are assimilating versus maintaining the identity. Something that I think, you know, the Hasidic Jewish population in mm -hmm. New York, mm -hmm. they have these neighborhoods where they are mm -hmm. very much, it's mm -hmm. a very different lifestyle than what's on around mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And people sort of accept it. I'd say it's, mm -hmm. it's generally pretty peaceful. Mm -hmm. But then other groups, um, sometimes if they try to maintain those ways, mm -hmm. people are very hostile to it. I mean, look at just a lot of the... Um, Islamic population, mm -hmm. maybe in, in all of the West. Mm -hmm. and, and so in the case of the Bai, are the people who try to, you know, fly under the radar, do they have much different outcomes than, say, in Singapore, where they do have that critical mass? Or, or is it, again, just uh, a hard trend to generalize about? Okay, you're picking two uh, <laughs> examples, which are, of course, I think, even physically, the way they dress, they would be marked out. Mm -hmm. Right, like Hasidic Jews or Islamic groups who put on their particular dress. So, so that's why I'm hesitating because, I mean, generally the Chinese diaspora don't do that. They don't, in a way, their dress don't reflect 
well, unless you want to go 100 years ago with your pigtails and their, stuff. Their, but... their appearance itself may be very similar to the surroundings. Yes, Can, yes. Okay. So, so in, in that sense, they wouldn't... I mean, and a lot of their rituals were done privately. I mean, it wasn't like public open space. But I think that the Hasidic Jews and, and, the, and the Islamic uh, Americans, at least those that, you, those that you can mark out, they do have certain physical dressing that... that Otherwise, I think, you know, it's hard to tell for the other migrant groups in general. So it could just be an, another factor in play, but it's not a general trend. There are a lot of other things. Yeah, so true. flying under the radar, they don't even need to fly under the radar because in the first place, they didn't try to fly. <laughs> no one, yeah, no one was noticing. Okay. What do you think the biggest takeaway from the story of the Bai should be, especially in the context of development? A lot of times when people think about development, there is really an emphasis on the economic aspect. And a lot of the stories in the Success Project focus on history, like the Bai, or ethnic cultural things. How, how do you think the story of the Bai really adds to how we can understand development in a big, bigger sense? Well, I, th I think uh, just in terms of fitting into the broader project of uh, DRI, uh, that it is one of the things that I think all the papers in the in this conference were trying to do was really to show how, in fact, it's not really the nation state that's deciding a lot of this. Um, I mean, if we can see, for instance, that the Chinese diaspora, especially in Southeast Asia, seem to experience economic success. One of the things that we are trying to highlight in this paper is that it's not is certainly not promoted or initiated by the nation state. Certainly, it's much more a kind of local communal grouping. Uh, and I think uh, what the paper tries to do is also to show that it's, it's not just an entire ethnic Chinese bamboo network, but very concrete networks that come out from individual clan, coming from particular home villages, in particular corners in the Fujian province, and that one has to track these very concrete networks and their social religious resources. That that if if actually every such case is seen, then there could be hundreds of thousands or millions of these really concrete um, networks that's going on. So, uh, I would say in, in relation to so-called, I mean, if for those who believe that development has to be done at the nation state level, this is uh, this case shows that it's highly problematic to see it in those terms, especially in the um, context of the Chinese diaspora in Southeast Asia, which has been ongoing since centuries ago, uh, especially from the late 17th century. All these have been done not with the help of the Chinese state whatsoever. So that's the, I would say, the point of the paper. My guest today has been Hui Kian Kui. Thank you for coming on the program. Mm, thank you for the invitation. <laughs> this episode of the Success Project podcast series was recorded at the DRI offices in New York, New York, hosted by Will Comperl and produced by Carmen Cuesta Visit nyudri.org to hear other episodes in our series, read Hui Qian's paper, and learn more about the Success Project. This project was made possible through the support of a grant from the John Templeton Foundation. 
The opinions expressed in this publication are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the John Templeton Foundation.